Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We'll talk about impeachment in the 1 o'clock hour, but things I want to discuss first. Let's start off with this note. If I were a subscriber to the Des Moines Register, the newspaper, which I am not, I would have canceled my subscription in the last 24 hours. What this newspaper did was a disgrace. And what has happened in the last 48 to 72 hours should be a lesson to anybody who works for a newspaper or in the media in general that um, people who live in glass houses should not push fake news. I've got a link to the story that we're going to talk about up on my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. You can follow me. But uh, if you have not seen the story, you, you need to because it raises so many issues about fake news and it is so demonstrative of why people deservedly hate the mainstream media for its excesses and its absolute hypocrisy. Now, Gru, I don't know if you, you, you're an ESPN fan, right? You know, you watch ESPN and football. Okay, so last week, ESPN on Saturdays does this thing called College Game Day where they take their pregame show and they take it on the road and they go to different college campuses, all right, and they do the pregame from there. Last weekend, they go to um, Ames, Iowa. It's the game between Iowa and Iowa State, okay? So that's that's the deal. They're Iowa and Iowa State, and they're, they're, they're doing these live shots. What happens is there's this guy. Um, he's a 24-year-old man. His name is Carson King. He's from Altoona, Iowa. He works at a uh, horse track, Prairie Meadows Horse Track in, in Iowa. And he's he's going to go to the game, and he's going to stand in the background. And so what he does is he takes a Sharpie, just, you know, one of those Sharpie pens, and he makes a handmade sign. And he goes out and he stands in the crowd and the handmade sign that he's holding up says Bush light supply needs replenishing. And then he puts like his his um, account on there, his Internet account. And then he says Carson King, 25 bucks. So what he's doing is he's asking for people to it's a joke. He's asking for people to donate 25 bucks to his Internet account so he can buy beer. All right. And, and he's he's shown on TV a couple times waving this sign. Well, what happens is this thing, I hate the phrase, go viral, but it does go viral because money begins to pour into his Venmo. That's his that's his account. Money begins to pour into his Venmo account. People are donating 25 bucks a piece to this guy. When it reaches 600 bucks, he calls his family and he says, I, you know, I, I just I was doing this as a joke. I, you know, I, I don't I don't want this money. And so what he says he's going to do is he's going to donate the money to the children's hospital in Iowa City, which is is Ames. So I'm, I'm going to donate the money here. So that that's what's going on. Well, then what happens is ESPN's, you know, um, 
ESPN, they pick up this story for SportsCenter. They do a two-minute piece on this. And then what happens is you have all these different businesses that start taking over as well. And this becomes this huge story. Um, He's featured on Good Morning America, NBC News, CNN, Fox, and Friends. And what happens then is that a bunch of companies start seeing this, and they jump on board. Northwest Mutual, based in Wisconsin, donates 50000 bucks to the Children's Hospital in honor of this guy. The casino where he works, they add a $10,000 deduction. It goes on and on and on. Uh, a construction company where the guy's brother works pledges to donate 300 bucks for each new, new roof it constructs. At the end of the day, okay, as a result of this one silly sign, there's over a million bucks, which is donated by companies, et cetera, et cetera, over the course of what, this was two weeks ago, to, to this children's hospital. It's a great story. All started by a 24-year-old guy who shows up with this handmade sign. All right, so where is the controversy? Well, the Des Moines Register decides, okay, we, we want to do a story on this. this. This guy's from Iowa. He's an Iowa legend. We want to do a story on him. So they go into the kid, the guy's background. He's 24 years old, and they I have the story in front of me. You know, they, they write about, you know, the guy's background, et cetera, et cetera, and how he works at this casino and all this and how he came up with the idea and how this idea just took off, okay? He's 24 years old. In the story, they mention... The reporter that wrote this, and this becomes relevant a little bit, his name is Aaron Calvin. In the story, they apparently decided that they were going to do an investigation of this guy, and they reviewed his Twitter and social media profile for years and years and years. And back in 2016, no, 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 I'm sorry, six years ago, so 2012, when this man was 16 years old, they're reviewing his Twitter account. Every, they're reviewing all the tweets that this guy put out in the course of the last, you know, however many years, six or eight years. And when he was 16 years old, they find two tweets that he sent out on his Twitter account in 2012. He's in high school. One and both are like off color, semi racist jokes. One compares black mothers to gorillas. The other makes light of black people killed in the Holocaust. Okay, this is when the kid was 16 years old in high school, eight years ago. And they report on this. They report on this that, oh, by the way, you know, you should also know that eight years ago or, you know, whatever. This is seven or eight years ago. He also sent out these two offensive tweets. They include that in the story. Now, this becomes even more interesting because once people start to to see that they've made the decision to include this, this is a private citizen, okay? This isn't a guy that's running for office. This isn't somebody who wants to be reelected to be the, um, the, the prime minister of Canada who showed up in blackface. This is a guy who showed up at ESPN, at, at an ESPN game day, waving a sign and raised over a million dollars for a children's hospital. And the reporter at the Des Moines Register goes back eight years, finds two tweets that this guy sent out when he was 16 years old, and they report this. Once they report it, 
a number of the companies that had donated money, they say they'll continue with their donations, but they completely disassociate themselves with this man. They completely and totally cut him off. That's it. We can't be associated with somebody who at the age of 16 would have passed these two things on. Now, the interesting other aspect of this story is as soon as the Des Moines Register does that and runs with the story, interestingly enough, a bunch of people decide to let's poke around into who Aaron Calvin is. Aaron Calvin is the reporter for the Des Moines Register who thought it was appropriate to let's go back eight years for, uh, again, this guy whose only notoriety, the only reason we're writing about him is he's done this good thing, he showed up with a sign, and we got to tell you that when he was 16, he sent out these two semi-racist tweets, okay? So they start poking around into the reporter's background. And as it turns out, between 2010 and 2013, the reporter, Aaron Calvin of the Des Moines Register, published tweets himself that used a racist slur for black people, made light of abusing women, used the word gay as a pejorative, and mocked the legalization of same-sex marriage by saying he was totally going to marry a horse. Okay, so that's what the reporter put out, you know, eight years ago. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is this is the embodiment of what we talk about when we say the cancel culture nowadays, this idea that we're going to go, it doesn't matter who you are, we're going to go and we're going to look into your background, and if we find anything that perhaps you should be embarrassed about, we're going to use that to cancel out anything good that you might have done since then. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. First of all, I think it was shameful for the Des Moines Register, under these circumstances, and given why the guy was in the news, to poke around, have to go back eight years to find a couple tweets, just two, that he sent out when he was 16 years old, and use that to undercut the story. That was not news. That was irresponsible. Number two... If you want to do that, that's fine, but think about the hypocrisy that is out there that you have a reporter, the same guy that is including this, that candidly had a lot more offensive tweets that he sent during uh, the same period of time. And by the way, he wasn't 16 years old when he was sending these things. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is nothing short of appalling that the newspaper decided to do this, this idea that we're now going to, and again, private citizens, he's not running for office. He's not up to be the CEO of some, you know, huge multi-international company. He's a guy that shows up at a sign who's doing a good thing. He's donated, He's as a result of him, you've raised over a million dollars for a kid's hospital, and now this guy is trashed by the sleazeballs at the Des Moines Register. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is the epitome of of destructive journalism, fake news, and, by the way, hypocrisy. And every reporter, every reporter, I think this story means it is now fair game. All right, you know, do you want somebody now poking around into your tweets from when you were a kid or whatever? And is that fair game? 414-799-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Marquette, Michigan. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I love Marquette, Michigan. I used to go to uh, summer workshops at uh, Northern Michigan University in August. Loved it. Great time of year. Awesome. Uh, I spent four years there, and uh, I just wanted to tell you too that uh, 
you, you're a legend in in uh, my family's household. My my dad has been listening to you uh, since he's been going to uh, Milwaukee Auto Auction. Oh, outstanding! Well, uh, your your father is obviously a man of discerning taste. I appreciate that. Oh, okay, I mean, am I being too hard on the Des Moines Register and this hypocrite of a reporter who decided to poke around into this guy's background and found a couple tweets from eight years ago? Oh my gosh! I mean, this this is what this reminds me of is the Josh Hader situation. Yep. You know, you have a, a tweet or whatever from when they were kids, you know, and whenever, you know, whatever for whatever reason, if he was trying to be cool or just repeating something he said, you know, this this is one isolated incident. And, if, you know, and if he's not doing this now, if he's not repeating the same stuff now, doesn't right. that tell you that, you know, he's not a racist or, you know, he doesn't right. believe this clearly? Well, well, right, and, and and it's not like he's running for office. He's he's not a public figure. He's a guy that shows up with a sign, you know, and he starts raising money, and next thing you know, he's raised a million bucks. Why why do you have to go back and try to practice the, the art of, of destruction of his life? Why is it relevant at all that when he was 16 years old, he, he sent out a couple, two of these, you know, off-colored racist jokes? I mean, and, and again, as this reporter is finding, you know, people who live in glass houses perhaps should be real careful about trying to peddle this kind of quote-unquote news right and you know it's it's just it's just horrifying really you know that you know this isn't a celebrity right he's a private citizen and you know all the good that he's done is right like it's all for not now that well, exactly. You know, and his okay. life. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Mike. And thanks for the kind words. And, and, and now this guy, because of because of the the arrogance of the Des Moines Register and this hypocrite of a reporter who has tweets in his past that are arguably as bad, if not worse, when he was older. Now now you've trashed this guy's reputation forever. And all he did was show up with a sign, for goodness sakes. I mean, is this now what's going to pass for news, that any time you have a witness to a crime, we're now going to have some reporter for the Journal Sentinel that's going to say, okay, I'm going to do an exhaustive background check of everything that this person has ever put on the internet and now we're going to include that i mean how is that relevant katie and racine katie or in wtmj oh i agree with you completely jeff i you know people who live in glass houses should not throw stones um this guy this reporter should be ashamed of himself we're not allowed to grow up and make you know make mistakes and learn from them right and, and become well, well, an active productive adult well right katie you see and I, i'm with look if if it if they're doing a background check on this guy and it turns out that he's the the head of the local white supremacist group you know okay may, maybe i understand that that's relevant all right that you might want to include that but but that's not it you got to go back eight years you're looking at all the things that i mean i have no idea how many hundreds or thousands of twitter entries that this kid put up over the years and you find these two and you seize on it i mean really it's at some point in time, don't we have to say enough is enough? I, I agree. When you're 16, you say things and do things that <laughs> yeah. when you're 24, you go back and go, oh, my God, what did I do? Right. You know? Yes. You know, can I can I see a show of hands, Katie? And I'm raising my hand. I, if somebody now when I was 16 years old, we, we didn't have the Internet. So, you know, Al Gore hadn't invented it and I'm not posting stuff. But can I see a show of hands, you know, for everybody who if you had somebody following you around, everything you said or wrote when you were 16 years old? My guess is there's not too many of us would would, would like some reporter from the Des Moines Register scrutinizing it because you could find something that was stupid. 
stupid or embarrassing or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, thanks for the call. I mean, this is, and again, this is the height of, of, to me, fake news. The Des Moines Register is deservedly getting a lot of criticism for this. They're saying, well, you know, we, we just included this at the end of the story. No, it wasn't relevant at all. But now the deal is, if, if this is the standard, everyone, every reporter now better be prepared to be scrutinized because if you're going to write stories like this, I want to know what you tweeted out when you were 16 years old or what you might have sent out after you'd been drinking one night in college. And now are we going to hold that against you? Nathan in Wauwatosa. Nathan, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, Hi. I think the last caller really hit it spot on. Um, when we start holding children accountable for their mistakes like that in their older years, it's a very dangerous situation because they just don't know any better. Right, right. Um, it, 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 is, it is a lesson about how now with the internet, everything you put out there follows you forever. But in this case, like I say, the guy did, well, he's not running for Congress. He's just showing up with a sign and he's donating the money to a children's hospital and he gets trashed by the sleazeballs at the Des Moines Register. It's, it's terrible because um, I think the precedence is set at yeah. the top with news outlets and the smaller outlets probably want to try to be as good as them and maybe reflect what they put out yeah no um, i'm i'm it's really unfortunate i'm with you one more call jim and waterford jim the last word is yours good afternoon oh good thank you because i was thinking about it um all the other callers hit it spot on you know it basically took my thunder let me add this on to it uh, Makes me feel like there's some kind of vendetta. These kids, these guys might have been knowing each other in high school or something, and they didn't like each other. Now this reporter is trying to get back at him for something. I, well, uh, I just it, think it's, it's I just it's think it's ridiculous. the yeah, yeah Jim. Thank, I mean, I just think it's this gotcha mentality here. I, I mean, and again, I you have to look at some context. M- maybe if he was running for political office or something, okay, then you do this whole background check. But is this now? Is this now the new standard that every time somebody is in the news, in this case, it's a feel-good story. Here, we're going to go back and we're going to scrutinize tweets that this guy put out eight years ago when he was 16 years old, and we're going to include that in the story because, gee, he sent out a couple uh, semi-racist jokes back when he was 16. And, of course, like I say, the irony is you've got the sleazebag reporter who decided to do this who's got a lot more colorful past himself. Okay, well, what's the Des Moines Register going to do to to him? And, again, as I pointed out when I sent out a link to this story on my Twitter account, I mean, maybe this lesson is that, you know, people – and institutions like the Des Moines Register and this particular reporter who live in glass houses, maybe they shouldn't peddle fake news. If you want to see, again, more links to the story, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But just at, talk about taking a good news story and just throwing it into the toilet. Shame on the Des Moines Register. Back in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. The numbers are out. UW-Madison, which, and, and this, what I'm about to say, is not intended to be a knock on any of the other UW schools, which all have their own merits and are, are, are quite candidly, you know, great great institutions. But UW-Madison, I think it's fair to say, from a perspective of a national reputation, it's viewed as the flagship of the UW system. 
it always used to be that the rule was that the people enrolling at UW-Madison, it had to be only 27.5% of new students could come from outside Wisconsin and Minnesota. So essentially, 62.5% of, I'm sorry, 72.5%, almost three quarters of the people who were going to go to UW were going to be people who came from either Wisconsin or Minnesota where we have reciprocity. And I think that was a recognition of the fact that it is the University of Wisconsin, which is there for, I don't know, you know, people who live in Wisconsin and who for their state taxes have been supporting the University of Wisconsin for years and years. In 2015, the Board of Regents changed that. They did away with that 20.75% cap, and instead they said, okay, well, here's the deal. We're going to just set a ceiling. We're going to say that you have to register 3,600 in-state students. So instead of a percentage, it's just going to be a number, 3,600 in-state students. That's going to be the rule. What has happened is, since then, all the increased number of students have almost all come from out of state. Here, here's the, the numbers. This year, this year, students enrolled at UW-Madison who live in state, who are in-state students, that percentage is down to 50.3%, down from where it always used to be, which is almost like close to 75%. It's now down to half. To give you an idea, here are the raw numbers. For this year, out of approximately 7,550 students enrolled as freshmen at UW-Madison, about 3,800 came from Wisconsin. They were residents and about 3750 came from out of state so it's been a dramatic explosion of the numbers of out of state students who are being admitted candidly at the expense of in state students let me give you some other numbers let's go back to 1995 just for the sake of argument because i have these numbers here in 1995 you looked at the enrolling class freshman at uw madison 3437 came from wisconsin 1,730 came from out of state. So you had that that split where there was a lot more in-state students. And again, this year, like I say, out of 7,550, you've got 3,800 that come from Wisconsin and almost the same number who come from out of state. Now, why is this happening? Is it because the out-of-state students are so much more brilliant or so much more better qualified than in-state students? Well, no, it's it's not. What's going on is out-of-state students pay almost three times as much in tuition. If you're an in-state student, to take a normal course load for a semester, you pay Fifty-three hundred and sixty-two bucks. All right, then there, there's fees on top of that, but you get the idea. If you're a non-resident, you pay eighteen thousand eight hundred and ninety-two dollars. So more than three times as much. So what you have going on here, and I, I don't think it's any secret, you have in-state students because the tuition is lower. All right, they're they're not getting the spots. And they're going to out-of-state students because the out-of-state students are paying more. Now, it's true that on raw numbers, yes, you're, you're admitting more in-state students than ever before. The ceiling is 3,600. The, the floor 
is 3,600. That's what the region said. This year they admitted almost 3,800. But as a percentage, it's dramatically shifted to the point that it's almost about 50-50. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand, again, what's going on here. It's it's a revenue decision. We've frozen the tuition for in-state students. And so it's a lot more profitable to take in out-of-state students. Okay, that that's great. But it's the University of Wisconsin at Madison. All right. Is it really desirable to have 50% of the students be from out-of-state? And should we be admitting out-of-state students, I don't know, at the expense of maybe in-state students, like your kid who perhaps has always wanted to go to UW-Madison, um, but now it can't get in, in part because, hey, you'd be paying less. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I also know that... Um, a lot of people who end up graduating from Madison, they didn't necessarily go there their freshman year. What happens is maybe they went to another UW school and then transferred in after their first or second year after other people dropped out. But now it's about 50% out-of-state students. I believe it's because of money. Is that right? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have a child or a grandchild or someone who recently went through this process and who got turned down at UW-Madison, maybe arguably in favor of, I don't know, an out-of-state kid who's going to pay more. All right, does that strike you as being right? We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Gene in Mequon. Gene, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm calling to give you an example of what's going on as far as enrollment in the University of Wisconsin and Madison. My grandson was on the honor roll for four years in one of the best high schools in the state. He was involved in sports. He was involved in uh, church activities. He wanted to go to Madison, and he applied, and he was not accepted the first time around. I guess it's early enrollment. He was not accepted when the second batch went out. Finally, at the, at the last opportunity he was accepted but by then he had accepted going to another school and he said if they don't want me i'm going somewhere else and right. i think this happens to other people and our cats are paying for these kids to go to school there yeah and it's no fear that they are turned down well you know my, my guess is gene um if if your grandson's all things being equal if he lived in illinois or michigan and you know, you or your your children were willing to pay the out-of-state tuition. With those numbers, my guess is he would have probably been accepted right away. But because because he was, you know, in-state student who's going to pay less, well, okay, we'll we'll just string him along. I think you're right. No, I thanks. Well, I, I I mean that that's the only explanation that you can have for this. Now, getting a number of texts from people saying, "Well, th- th- this is." This is all Scott Walker's fault. This is that that this is the evil legislature that has frozen tuition at UW Madison. So this is what's going to happen. I have a text from one of our regular listeners, Justin, who makes a great point. This is outrageous. What former Governor Walker intended with his undergraduate tuition freeze was to
to encourage the UW system to control their costs. But in reality, what they did was maximize their revenue by skewing the mix of students to more out-of-state and graduate students and raising those tuitions to rival the most um, esteemed private universities. UW-Madison has executed a shell game where fewer and fewer Wisconsin residents can benefit from the quote-unquote affordable tuition Walker had enabled as they instead claim the bountiful cash cow from uh, subsidies and advanced degree candidates. That is precisely what has gone on here. Precisely. The idea behind the tuition freeze is let's make it more affordable for in-state students. Let's control costs. What UW has done is they said, here, wink, wink, nod, nod. What we're going to do is, yeah, it's going to be more affordable for the in-state students, but we're not going to take as many of those. We're going to take a much higher percentage of out-of-state students that we're going to, um, that we're going to make pay through the nose. Tom in Brookfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment on the, the policy of changing for uh, more money for out-of-state students. The uh, University of Illinois uh, implemented that quite a long time ago, and it's another failed policy of the state of Illinois that's costing uh, Illinois residents um, and their kids not being able to go to the schools that they're funding. Well, right, because, uh, see, that's the, under, that's, the, that's the underlying thing. The taxpayers in Wisconsin are funding this because all of us, I mean, I don't have children that are in the UW system, but, you know, my taxes over the years have gone to help support the UW system. You would think that my kids wouldn't have a disadvantage simply because they live in state, but that's precisely the way this has worked out. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it would be to the uh, betterment of people in Wisconsin to look into uh, the disaster that has become the University of Illinois and its failure to serve the people of the state of Illinois, just another failed policy of that state. Unfortunately, I left there a long time ago, yeah. and I'm a lot happier here. So. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Th- yeah. No. Thanks. For, no. That. That's. That's it. And the, I mean, these numbers are the, the numbers are staggering. Now, some apologists for you know the people that are making these admission decisions would say, well, well, Jeff, you know, there, there's more there's more in-state students now being admitted than ever before, and, and that's true. They admitted about 3,800. The regents say you have to admit 3,600. So, so that's true. But that's not keeping up at all with the pace of enrollment. You have a much larger number of out-of-state um, students that are coming in, um, and, and international. That includes international as well. And, look, I, I'm all, I get the idea that you want a diverse student body, and that, that's all great. And I think it's outstanding that UW is able to attract people from out-of-state that they want to come here. But at the same time, what what about... What about those really good students who would otherwise qualify but are being told, no, you can't get into the state school? And in my opinion, like I say, there's no question the reason that this is going on is because all things being equal, once you hit that 3,600 number, there is an incentive to take the out-of-state students over the similarly well-qualified in-state students because they're going to be paying more than three times as much per semester. It, it's not about raising – it's all about raising revenues, not about quality. Like I say, if I was somebody that had a kid who'd always wanted to go to UW-Madison – qualified to go to UW-Madison, but now is being told no because, well, gee, we've got too many in-state students coming in. I'd be raising holy you-know-what. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Journal Sentinel reporting that Gary Grunow, um, well-known developer, architect, has passed away at the age of 80. Um, in, in his heyday, there was, it, it would be almost impossible to find a major project in downtown Milwaukee that, that Gary Grunow wasn't involved with in one some way shape or or form um perhaps probably the the biggest thing that he's known for is is taking the old schlitz brewery that property and then you know redeveloping it into schlitz park and, and really uh you know taking taking an area that had was pretty decrepit it really fallen into hard times and then you know re-energizing it and developing it as an office park that has 35 or 40 tenants or however many it has i, I think that was probably his 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 the project that he's best known for um also known for helping develop the riverwalk etc etc again it's uh it's impossible to look at downtown milwaukee and, and not see the the footprint of, of gary grunow um, he's been sick for a couple years and family announced that he just passed away the other day, but, uh, certainly, a, a big part of the development of the city of Milwaukee. Controversial from time to time, but nevertheless, somebody who had a, a civic vision and who carried it out. All right. I now go where angels fear to tread. The transcript is out of the infamous call between President Trump and the Ukraine president. I, I was listening to one of these political hacks talk about, well, it, it sounds, th- this is how, like, mafia dons talk. And I'm like, really? I mean, really? Seriously? Can't we kind of dial this this back a little? But I understand we are in this hyper-partisan area where you now have, let's back up. You You have, since 2016, you have a number of people who have believed that Donald Trump is illegitimate. That is, that he, he should have never won the race, that something happened, that Hillary Clinton should be president, and that Donald Trump is undeserving of that. Okay, Donald Trump is combative. He is feisty. He's got a take-no-prisoners approach. His approach to the presidency is probably different than any of his predecessors. And because he fights back... Because he punches down, because he bypasses the media, um, the, the mainstream media has despised him from the beginning. I've told this story before. There was a documentary on the New York Times that aired on, on Showtime uh, about a year ago, and, and I watched it, and I was just struck by how these reporters for the New York Times loathed, and that's the word, they loathed Donald Trump. And, and you could just you could just tell they, they loathed him and it has become for lots of aspects of the mainstream media it, it's become kind of a cash cow the new york times digital subscriptions is up and it's all because 90 percent of the stuff they write about president trump is is negative and they're appealing to those people that don't like him so they're they're feeding the beast and they're being rewarded for uh, again with the subscriptions but th- that's all well and good but it's not what journalism is all about so the media has been out to get him and you have politicians who've been out to get him from the beginning they thought the Mueller report was going to be what brought him down that turned out to be well certainly nothing that would lead to an impeachable offense so now we're 13 months before the next election you have, and let's be honest here, what's going on. There is incredible pressure from particularly the left, the people that are supporting the, the, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, the Democrat donors that just despise Trump. They want him out. 
and they want him i mean they want him just let's let's frog march him through the the public square you should have impeached him based on Mueller. you haven't done that so now we're going after him based on the transcript of this particular phone call the phone the conversation has been released i i've read it you can read it online he's talking to the president of the ukraine now this is back in july the president ukraine historically has been an incredibly corrupt government all right Russia, of course, then invaded the Ukraine a couple years ago, and I, together with lots of people, thought it was important to try to push back against this Russian intervention. At the same time, the Ukraine has also been this source of, again, corruption. Like I was saying, there's some of the some of the phony stuff that came out about Donald Trump and the original emails and all that that originated in the Ukraine. So Trump has never had any love lost for them, and least according to the president, sometime last summer, um, when there was supposed to be all this aid sent to the Ukraine, he became concerned about whether or not that aid would be appropriately spent, number one, because of issues of corruption, and number two, whether or not the U.S. was paying a disproportionate amount to the Ukraine, should other allies contribute more. So there's a new president, Ukraine. There is a conversation. I am looking at this. You could probably see it if you care enough about it. And they're talking about a number of things. The president is, conduct, is congratulating the President Zelensky of the Ukraine on his election, etc., etc. And then they start talking about the, the corruption and the fact that there was a prosecutor who was investigating corruption who was in fact removed that's the that's the joe biden tie biden brags about how he got some um prosecutor that was removed when he was the vice president and here's what the president says well president Zelensky says i guarantee as president of ukraine all the investigations will be done openly and candidly that i can assure you and then the president says this good because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good, and he was shut down, and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut down your very good prosecutor and had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man, mayor of New York City, a great mayor. I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the attorney general. Rudy very much knows what's happening. He's a very capable guy. If you could speak to him, that would be great. The former ambassador from the United States, um, the woman was bad news, and people she was dealing with Ukraine were bad news, and I just want to let you know that. The other thing. There's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that she stopped the prosecution. So if you could look into it, it sounds horrible to me. And he then says, um, look, I, I, I understand about the prosecutor. She wasn't a friend of mine. We've got new people there, and we're going to investigate the stuff and get to the bottom of it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand there's politics. I, I get it. I understand that there's all sorts of pressure to bring elections. It is absurd, at least in my opinion, to think that this phone call constitutes an impeachable offense, period. Could you argue that maybe the president of the United States would be better off, you know, not bringing up names and saying, well, I, I think you should conduct this investigation. A lot of people are wondering about this. Well, well maybe. 
but there, there's no there's no quid pro quo. There's no hey, you know, you better investigate and prosecute Biden's kid, or else you know you're not getting aid. There, there's none of that. It's a conversation about corruption. Now, could you argue that the president would probably be better advised to have stayed out of this area? Well, of course, uh, of course, that that's all well and good. But, you know, we're talking about high crimes and misdemeanors. And let's just be honest here. This is not about high crimes and misdemeanors. This is about a political show. And and I, I love a political show as well as the next person. I, I, I really, I do. But, you know, we have significant things that you'd like to see Congress do over the course of the next 13 months, regardless of what the House of Representatives does. Donald Trump is not going to be removed before the election. That The Republicans in the U.S. Senate are not going to convict him and remove him from office, especially based on something like this. So is this this important thing we need to do to get to preserve the republic, or is this just more politics as usual? My answer is, number one, it's politics as usual. Number two... I think that the Democrats, the people that are pushing this, need to be really, really careful because I think this has the potential, just like the Republicans were guilty, in my opinion, of overreaching when they tried to impeach Bill Clinton, who did, in fact, perjure himself and actually commit a crime. Just like Republicans, I think, were guilty of overreaching in trying to impeach Bill Clinton, that backfired in a big way. I think trying to pursue this against Donald Trump, not among the hardcore Trump haters, but among the general public, I think this has the potential to have a huge backlash as well. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Do you want to see the impeachment train leave the station? Do you want to spend the next six or eight months obsessing on what this particular phone call meant? Or do we just want to we have an election in 13 months. Let's let the public decide. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And you do have to cut through some of the histronics, histronics, like, histronics like, oh, my gosh, this is like a mafia Don talking. Really? All right. What do you think? This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. President Trump and President Zelensky from Ukraine. They're, they're holding like a joint press conference now. Our, our news department is rolling on it. And if there's anything newsworthy that comes out of that, we'll, of course, bring that to you. Here's a text uh, from Chris. Jeff, I'm not for either side, but the constant fishing for the next thing is so exhausting. I believe if the Democrats pursue impeachment, it will nearly guarantee Trump's reelection. The Dems in the press are heading having the opposite impact that they're looking for. If I'm tired of it, I can only imagine most of the nation feels the same way. Well, that n- not not that portion of the nation that hates Donald Trump and thinks that his presidency is illegitimate. They, they want they want to destroy him, and so they, they think this is the smoking gun. I just I, it, it's I, I don't see that. Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you know I, I agree with you. I think the Democrats are concentrate on trying to uh, deal with the, uh, uh, the policies in, for this country. And uh, and try to deal with trying to get in a, a democratic uh, individual elected mm-hmm. instead of thinking about this impeachment. In fact, the fact is, I think it's too late in the game to try to even get him impeached. Yeah. But the fact is, is that I do think President Trump did cross the line when he was talking to the prime minister and uh, when he when he brought up uh, trying to investigate Joe Biden. 
the fact is when 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 uh, president i mean uh, the prime minister of ukraine was talking about the missiles that he wanted to purchase because of to to have defense against russia donald trump did say you know well you know i, I want you to do me a favor and he did talk about the corruption deal and everything else right. then he slipped joe biden i think that's where his toe kind of crossed that line if, if let me i'm just curious if if he had, if it hadn't been Biden, what if, what if it was somebody else? Let's say that there's concern about, I don't know, some some other U.S. businessman that might have been a businessman that might have been involved in corruption and getting a lot of attention. So if he would have said, Mr. President, you know, there's a lot of interest in investigating Vincent from the Northwest Side. I, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd really. I think it would be in everybody's interest if you would take a look at that. If he had named you instead of Biden, would would that have been okay? Uh, that would have been okay. But, okay. but when you talk about political opponents, the fact yeah. is he's doing the exact same thing that he was accused of dealing with Russia. Yeah. The fact is you, you're asking a foreign government to investigate a political opponent. And so I think that's where he crossed the line. And so, yeah, you know, he was fired up until that point when he was talking about dealing with the corruption and and finding out the, uh, the, uh, what mm-hmm. influence Russia had on our, our, our elections. But once he began to say, "Listen, you know, I want, you know, I want, hey, you want yeah. you to do me a favor, investigate," and, and talked about sending Giuliani over there for all this crap. The fact is, I think his that little toe crossed that line uh, 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 where where where. Where we need to right. suspect of what he's talking about to other officials around the country. Okay, well, thanks. Well, I mean, I, th- here's the context. When he says he's a favor, I, he didn't say, I, I, I want you to do me a favor and investigate Joe Biden. What, what he said was, I'd like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been a through, through a lot, and Ukraine knows about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthier persons, the server. They say Ukraine has it. There are a whole lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I'd like to have the attorney general call you, and I'd like you to get to the bottom of it. So it's in context, it's not, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to investigate Joe Biden. Uh, look, the Wall Street Journal yesterday said th- this is, it, again, this is the kind of stuff that, that President Trump, again, invites himself, leaves himself open for criticism when it's the, again, it's the political narcissism. That's the phrase they use, not mine, about here we're, we're going to throw in the Biden thing. I, I guess, you know, Vincent, you say he, he, he put his toe over the line. I, I, I don't know. I, I think if you're going to impeach a president, for something it's got to be a high crime or a misdemeanor and it's not got to it's not enough to say well i think maybe the toe was over the line i think you have to jump into the pool <laughs> you know i mean i mean like i said I, I keep going back bill clinton perjured himself there's no issue about that he lied under oath and i think impeachment in that context was the bridge too far richard nixon obstructed justice with his involvement in the Watergate thing. And, you know, he ended up resigning before, you know, he was actually impeached. But, okay, people understand that. Stick, you know, crossing the line with your, you know, with your toe, I just don't see that leading to impeachment. Let's talk to Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Uh, hi. I'm a, this is, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a Republican. I listen to your show. I'm uh, independent, leaning to the left. Okay. But on this deal, I don't think the, the Democrats or us, we should go for this impeachment thing unless it's really a clear-cut crime. And it's not going to go anywhere through the Senate. Yep. So I think it's a waste of time just for that. 
Yeah. And some stuff is out there now. What he did may push the people that's on the ledge, so to speak. I mean, this is kind of, he's digging yeah. up stuff from the old past and stuff like that. Dirty uh, pool, that's not, you know, yeah, I, well, that's it, not good. I think it's going to damage him in some way, but going to impeachment, which is not going to happen. Right, I think you. I think you. I mean, thanks to call, Jim. I appreciate. I mean, see, I think, and, and this is the risk of this strategy. And matter of fact, Nancy Pelosi. This is one of the reasons why she has been fighting impeachment for the longest time, because she recognizes there is a risk in making Donald Trump a martyr, and, and you know. Because, again, I, I love the phrase that our first caller, Vincent, used. Okay, well, maybe I think his toe crossed the line. Well, okay, I, we, we don't remove presidents for their toe crossing the line if that, in fact, happened, okay? We, that, that's, that's not it. I think, you know, you have to have, okay, this is clearly an example of corruption. It is a high crime. It is a misdemeanor. This is not that. But I understand there's some people that just so much hate President Trump that they want him out on any sort of basis, and they'll grasp at anything, and they're pushing their legislators to do that. Again, I go back to the notion, I think it's got a backlash. I, I think that if you actually go ahead with this and we spend the next three or four months microanalyzing that this one call or something like that, you're going to turn Donald Trump into a martyr. It's what Nancy Pelosi was afraid of, and maybe you make re-election more likely. My perspective is, since he's not going to be removed from office, at some point in time, don't don't we want to concentrate on the things that most of us really care about? Like, we've got an election 13 months from now. But, I mean, I, I, I want to talk about fixing Social Security, and I want to talk about taxes, and I want to talk about, um, you know, health care premiums, and I want to talk about, well, things like national security. Do we really want to argue about, okay, what was the meaning of saying, hey, we've got some reports that Biden's kid was, you know, up to his neck in corrupt stuff, and, and I'd, I'd like you to have this new prosecutor take a look at that. Oh, okay, that's what you're going to toss a guy out of office for i doubt it this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj so very glad to have you with us you know during melissa's news she quoted uh, congressman ron kind he represents the western part of the state he's a democrat um saying that well I, i'm in favor of Opening inquiries, I'm not going to commit to actually being in favor of impeachment. And he make interesting point that one of our texters makes. Jeff, I don't think the goal of the Democrats is to actually impeach. But by opening a formal inquiry, the Democrats have new tools for discovery. I think this is really about fishing expeditions. Can they get documents, recordings, testimony, etc.? Um, maybe they're going to find something that could be damning to the president. Uh, Donald Trump is foolish enough to keep giving them openings and excuses for going after him. And I, there, I, I think there might be an element of that that it's not. We're not going to actually. Go ahead with impeachment, but we're going to use this as a basis to try to see if we can dig up more dirt that we can then use in the campaign against him, which is, I guess, entirely possible. WTMJ listeners and fans, join us next Monday, September 30th, for a new signature event, WTMJ 2020. There will be newsmakers, politicians, sports owners, and many more discussing the trends and issues that will shape the coming year. Come be a member of our live radio audience at this free all-day event taking place at the Northern Lights Theater inside the Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino. It's W. WTMJ 2020, presented by Annex Wealth Management, Acunet Mortgage and Realty, and Hall Imports, brought to you by Professional Construction, Inc. More details available at WTMJ.com slash WTMJ-2020. All right, let's move away from... Let's move away from impeachment and talk about something else that completely and totally divides us. All right, tomorrow night, 
here on WTMJ, you will be able to listen to a football game between the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. All right? It is the Thursday night football game. Now, I don't want to sound like the hey kids get off my lawn guy. You know, we have other people at the station who we get around who do that from time to time. I, I just, I am not a fan of Thursday night football. I, I think it's one of these things that, candidly, it's the, the games, in my opinion, are always of a very, very poor quality. I understand that they do it for TV revenue because we have like an insatiable appetite to try to watch football, but I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think it's good for the teams, and candidly, I I think that they should scrap it. Now, what got me started on this is I was looking at a story that appeared in the Journal Sentinel about you know Matt Lafleur, the new coach of the Packers. The Packers are three and zero. The Eagles are zero and three. But you know he's talking about this football game. Now, normally when you play football. You have a week between games. Sometimes it's a little bit of a shorter week. Sometimes you have to play Monday and you play the following Sunday. Sometimes at the end of the year you play on a Sunday and then you play on a Saturday. But, you know, this idea of having to play after only three days, it's no wonder the games are, are crummy. For example, Journal Sentinel today, the article says, you know, it's a short work week. They finish the game on Sunday. So they've only got three days. So no traditional practices on Monday and Tuesday in advance of the game. He says, look, I looked at a lot of schedules, and we just kind of felt what would work best. You know, we want to get the players well-rested, but, you know, we're we're not going to have practices. We're not going to have scrimmages. We're not going to do what we typically do. Now, the Packers have an advantage because they don't have to travel. I mean, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you play on Sunday, and then, you know, you've got to get to Green Bay. So presumably, you've got Monday, you've got Tuesday, and then Wednesday is a travel day. Presumably, they're flying into Green Bay today. Maybe they fly in tomorrow morning. My guess is they probably fly in tonight. So you have almost no time to prepare. Now, I understand in baseball, you play 162 games, you play game after game after game. Football is different. Football is an incredibly physical sport. You don't have, you by playing on a Sunday and then a Thursday, you don't give the coaches time to prepare. You don't give the players time to practice. And you don't give the players, I, I think, a chance to heal and, and recover. So even though I'm a huge Packers fan, and I guess it's going to be cool to be able to watch them on natural, national TV tomorrow night, which I will do, at the same time, I don't expect it to be a very good game, and I think it's really hard on the players, and it's really hard on the coaches, and I think it leads to bad football. 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage talk and text line. I get that there's money involved, and, I mean, it all kind of comes down to that. You've got a network that's willing to pay big money to carry the games on a Thursday night. So I understand that there's money involved. But from a fan's perspective, is Thursday night football Good. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. Is it good for the quality of the game? Is it good for the teams that the Packers are going to essentially be playing on like three days rest, which is essentially that, that they're not going to have time for regular practices, that they're going to have limited prep time. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, it's even more limited prep time because you're hopping on a plane today after finishing a game on Sunday. 414-799-1620. I... I get making money. I wish the NFL would scrap these Thursday games once and for all because, in general, they're lousy games. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be watching the Thursday night football game tomorrow night, especially since the Packers are involved in it. I'm just. It's going to be a bad football game in all likelihood if the past is any indicator. And I just think things would be so much better if they scrap Thursday night football once and for all. Let's start with Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I, I, I'm in my late 20s, so your comment about... Uh, <laughs> the, the, the old man saying, get off the lawn, kids. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but I actually agree that Thursday night, I mean, it just seems to be more of a burden on the players. And are they really getting the numbers they want on a Thursday compared to a Sunday? Um, but actually, I do think they have had some pretty decent matchups this year. But overall, I think they can scrap the Thursday night game. Well, yeah, I mean, the player, I mean, I, I actually think, it, I mean, I guess I'd have to go back and look at this, but I, I think it makes it more likely that the players are going to get injured. You, you you don't have the time to prepare. You don't have the time to let your body heal. I mean, they're just, I mean, I, I almost feel bad for Philadelphia, and I don't know what's going to happen, but you get two days, then you got to jump on a jet and get ready to play on the fourth day. How can you possibly turn in a good performance with that little prep time? Right, and and all the worries about players getting injured yeah. nowadays doesn't seem to be helping. Right. No. Th- no. Thanks for calling. And, and I mean, again, and I I understand they've had good matchups, and and. and you know, we could go back and look at the history of Thursday night football, and I'm sure you can find some good, fun games, and that were close and exciting and were well played. My general sense is uh, is that you know a lot of these games are just dogs; they're just flat out dogs, and it's not necessarily the matchups. It's just that the players they're, they're not physically able to give their best because it's so out of the routine. And the only reason we're doing it, let's be honest, is because you've got a network that's willing to throw a lot of money at it. Um, let's talk to Kaz in Greenfield. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. I, I'm of the opinion, like you, football is a physically demanding game. These guys get beat up on a Sunday afternoon. You can't fully recover in three to three and a half days from bouncing off of each other, much less put up a perfect performance on a Thursday night when you're physically ailing. You're mentally probably not into this thing. You haven't had an opportunity to practice. I mean, the Packers, they're not having regular practices. That's the decision they've made. So you're completely you're, you're doing something completely different than you normally do. Right. And if you're not giving me time to heal, my focus is on my body. And if I'm favoring one part of my body that's injured, as you said, you're probably subject to getting hurt because you're protecting yourself from not getting hurt and you're opening yourself up to that potential injury. That's just foolish. And I can't believe that with all of what goes on now with even concussions, how are they even putting these players in jeopardy after only a three-day rest? That's that's dumb as hell. Well, I mean, it's it's all about money. No, thanks for calling. I guess, you know, I just... I mean, look, I, I understand the next collective bargain agreement, they're going to have to wrestle with things. Um, you know, one of the things that the owners want is they want to go to an 18 game, 18 game season. You know, for the players to agree to that, I, I one of the first things that I would think that you would say is let's, let's get rid of these Thursday games. Because again, from to your point, from a player safety perspective, I, I think it puts it at issue. It's just kind of bad football, and I, I I don't know. I just think that you're just asking for trouble. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. 
Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my thoughts are that Thursday night football should be abolished. I thought that from the start. It's kind of an oversaturation of the market. The uh, NFL is like on Thursday night, Sundays all day, Sunday night, Monday night. They're like oversaturating this market. And aside from all the other points this guy's brought up, the injuries and the short time frames and all that other stuff, I, I think it's just bad business. I think that uh, they get more, more viewers on a Sunday and Monday and instead of having a Thursday night. Plus, if you're in a pool, you got to keep track of an extra day of staff. <laughs> that's right. You got Thanks to caller. Or if you're in one of these leagues, like I don't, I don't do the fantasy football thing, but I do do I'm in this league where you, you pick five games a week ahead of the spread. Now you, you got you got to think about that. Are you going to take the Packers this week? Look, look. The bottom line is, I understand it is entertainment. I, I get it, but at the same time. When you're talking about a really, really violent sport like football, the idea of having to have these guys turn around on just a couple days' notice doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, look, there's always the chance, I understand, that somebody can get seriously injured on any sort of play. That happens every Sunday. It happens every Saturday. It happens every Monday night. There's, there's no question about it. It just seems to me that it's much more likely that something like that's going to happen when you have these players that are going into games without having an appropriate amount of time to prepare and without having an appropriate amount of time to let their bodies heal just it, it it's the almighty dollar i i get it and we are all responsible because we're all going to be watching and the ratings will probably be decent for a thursday night game especially with a matchup between the packers and the eagles I'm just saying big picture i i think it would be better all around if if maybe monday night and sunday were when we had football games for the nfl this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. She says she zoned out. The state says it's murder. It is one of the most fascinating cases that is going on now. It's down in Dallas. I have not discussed it with you since it occurred, but the, but today is the day. If you haven't been following this, Gru, have you been following the case about the off-duty cop and what she did? You're looking at me vaguely. Oh, blankly. Okay, good. You, you will follow this. All right. The, the, the woman's name is Amber Geiger. She was a, she's 31 years old. She was a, a 10, 12, 13-year veteran of the Dallas Police Force. This happened September 6th of last year. She had worked a double shift, so she's worked 13-plus hours. She comes home to her apartment building. Now, she is distracted because, according to the prosecution, she is having a fling with one of her coworkers, and she and the coworker are exchanging like red hot texts to each other, you know, but she, she's off duty and they're, they're, that's not a crime. And they're, they're texting back and forth. I'm really, I'm really whatever. And I want to see you. Can't wait to see you, etc. So they're texting back and forth. So she gets to her apartment building and she lives on the third floor. She gets off the elevator and she's on the fourth floor. She doesn't, according to her, she doesn't realize that she's on the wrong floor. And what she does is she goes to, all right, an apartment, like one floor above hers. And the apartment, there's, there's, she's got like a blue doormat or something. There's a red doormat outside. And it's got the apartment number on it, like 1478. That's not her apartment number. She lives a floor below. And it's a different, 
It's a different floor mat, et cetera, et cetera. But her story is, hey, I'm tired. I just, I, you know, I, I wasn't paying attention. She opens the door. The door is unlocked. She opens the door to this apartment. Her story is she thinks it's her apartment. And there's a guy sitting across the way in his underwear watching TV. You know, the lights are off, guy sitting there watching TV in his underwear because it's his apartment and he's watching TV. She believes that her home is being burglarized. She says she thinks that she's in her apartment. And so the guy, all right, who's watching TV, all of a sudden somebody has just walked into his apartment. He stands up and starts to walk towards her. She pulls out her service resolver and shoots him twice in in the chest and kills him. Right. She then calls 911 and she says, um, I shot a guy thinking it was my apartment. Um, they say, well, OK, then they end up, you know, trying to, to save him. But but he was dead on the scene. You know, so, so she kills him. The district attorney's office has now charged her with with murder. And the trial is going on. Her defense is, look, this this was accidental. It might have even been justified. She thought she was in walking into her apartment. She thought there was an intruder, and she felt that she had to defend herself. Now, I, I, I'm sure if you are like me, you have had occasions where maybe you're driving a car, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're – I don't know, you're heading south on 43, and you're you're at the Good Hope exit, and the next thing you know, you're at the Silver Spring exit. And you really, you just don't remember how you got between the Good Hope exit and the Silver Spring exit. Okay, maybe you've had that, that happen. You've zoned out. Maybe you've gone into a parking lot, for example, and you've tried to find your car, and, you know, you, you don't recognize your car. Or, and this happened to me about a week ago, all right, I drive one of these cars. I drive an SUV, and my car looks a lot like all sorts of other cars. I go, I I walk up to the car door. I knew approximately where my car was parked. I don't know if I was zoning out or whatever, but I go and I go to open the car door, and it doesn't open. And that's because it's not my car. It is the same style and the same color as my car, but my car is parked three parking spaces over, at which you're going to go, ooh, you know, this, this is the wrong car. Hope the car alarm doesn't go off. Maybe you've had stuff like that happen. You know, maybe you've gone up to the wrong apartment or something like that. But her story is, look, this was an unfortunate set of accidents uh, that, that occurred. This is not murder. Now, there's also, this is getting a lot of attention because there's a racial element, as there oftentimes is. She's a white police officer. He was a black man. And so that that's kind of the undercurrent of this. But her story is, this was a mistake. I, I just, I zoned out. I didn't realize I was on the fourth floor. I didn't realize I walked into the wrong apartment. But thinking I had walked into my apartment, I see this guy in his underwear. Yes, I'm going to shoot him. All right, 414, I felt threatened. I felt unsafe. I thought my home was being burglarized. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should she be held accountable for shooting and killing th- this guy? Her defense is essentially going to be that this was all uh, she she legitimately believed that she was in her apartment and she believed that she was being threatened by this guy who was burglarizing her home or whatever. He was in her apartment when he shouldn't have been. 
Um, that's why she shot him. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a very strong reaction to this, but I'm curious as to what you think. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this murder or is it just an honest mistake, a series of circumstances gone wrong? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, the lawyer for the gal, for the police officer, says the building is confusing and lots of residents get off the elevator on the wrong floor or park on the wrong floor. So it's understandable that something like this could have happened. Well, it's understandable that you could get off on the wrong floor. Okay, maybe you could get that. And maybe it's understandable that you get you go up to the wrong door. But I I don't know if I've got a blue floor mat or a welcome mat and there's a red welcome mat. I don't know. At least that's going to be the start to tell me maybe I'm on the wrong floor or I'm at the wrong apartment. All right. Is this murder? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Josh on the south side. Hi, Josh. Hi. I find this horrific. This is like one of the worst things I've ever heard. You're in your house. Somebody comes in by accident and kills you. (laughs) I think, honestly, I think movements like Black Lives Matter are misguided and ignorant. If she gets off, they are... Riots and and anything else are totally justified. This is horrific. You go into someone's house and kill them. Well, that, yeah, I mean, it's, and again, I, see, I understand zoning out, like I was saying. I mean, I think that that happens to us all. But, but yeah, at some point in time, you, you got to do a lot of, you got to be pretty far out of it. You're on the wrong floor. You're in the wrong apartment. The furniture is completely different. And there's a guy in his underwear watching TV and you decide you're going to pull out your gun and shoot him. Yeah, I, well, that's the thing, Jeff. It's, Oh, oops, sorry, I made an accident. I killed you. My bad. Oops, yeah. that's, it's horrible. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She says it was just all this mistake. I, I, I just... I. I didn't realize I was in the wrong apartment, and I then felt threatened when the guy started coming at me. Well, I don't know if he was really coming at her. He probably did what I think any of us would do. If I was living in an apartment and all of a sudden it's late at night or whatever, and I'm watching TV and somebody walks in, I'm going to stand up, and I'm probably going to say, what are you doing here? Now, I don't know if there was any sort of conversation. I think she just shot first. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Jeff on the north side. Jeff? Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Um, I kind of believe her that she she, she could have made an error like that. But first of all, why is she working a double shift? Okay. Why should any cop be working a double shift with a gun? Okay. That's asking for trouble, first of all. Right. Don't you agree, Jeff? Well, I, I don't know that it's, I mean, I don't know what she was doing on the double shift. I, I guess I don't, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a simple question. She had a gun. She's working a double shift. Do you agree or not? I don't agree with you. I think that's a. I, to, honest, to be honest with you, Jeff, I think that's a weird thing to focus on in this story that she was okay. working on a double well, then, shift. You know what? You know what I think? I think she should figure it out in prison. Well, I, see that I don't think. See now that I don't disagree with. I mean, I guess you're you're pushing me on the whole question of okay. Do you think that police officers should never work double shifts? No, I mean I'm not going to go that far. Um, her defense is I'm tired, but there's lots of police officers who go home and they're they're tired any anyways. I'm not going to say I think that you should never work overtime and that that's an excuse for this. There, there's a lot of because there's a lot of people that go home tired. Period. Um, so. I don't want to go down that route, but but yeah, there at some point in time, 
even if you believe all these things she's saying, she's tired. She's uh, the prosecution's theory is, like I say, she's distracted because she's apparently, you know, talking dirty to whoever her boyfriend is. And and again, that makes you wonder how tired she was. That That's all. But she, she's distracted. She's not paying any sort of attention. All right. You, you still got to be held accountable for what you end up doing. And in this case, even if she was distracted, even if she was tired, even if she was not paying attention to things, that doesn't give you an excuse to walk into somebody else's apartment, even if it's a mistake, pull out your piece and shoot them dead. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Paul in Merton. Hi, Paul. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, my comment is um, this excuse or her... her uh that she zoned out, you know, she, right. wasn't, she was tired, she wasn't paying attention. How is this any different from the story that you had on a few weeks ago where the the guy uh, was dropping off his children and he left two kids in the back of his car? Right, he forgot, he, he forgot, yeah. Exact. I forgot. I was just, you know, I was tired, I was running late, I had to get the kids in. I don't know what the final result was of that, but, you know, again, how is that any different than... How is his excuse any different well, than this? Well, excuse? right, and, and his excuse might even be a little bit better because he just said, look, he says, I completely just forgot, I zoned out that my child was in the back seat of the car. Here, even even if you accept her version of the things, that she thought she was walking into her apartment, okay, this guy wasn't armed. He was sitting there watching TV in his underwear. I'm not sure how many... I'm not sure how many burglars sit in your home and, you know, watch TV in their underwear. He wasn't armed. The whole question then becomes, even if you're telling the right thing, what justification do you have for pulling out your gun and shooting the guy in the chest twice? And who's to say there isn't further investigation to see if there was some conflict between this officer and the person that was shot? So, yeah, I don't. I think I don't think that. Thanks, I don't think that's that's it at all. I mean, I, I think this is one of these situations where it is what it is. I, I mean, I don't think there's any sort of untold stories. She gets off on the wrong floor. Doesn't she's distracted? Maybe she's you know again she's she's sexting back and forth or whatever. She's distracted. She doesn't realize she's on the wrong floor. And my guess is for people who live in big apartment complexes, maybe something like that has happened to you before. You've gone up to the wrong door. You've tried to go in, and, and in this case, it's unfortunate that the door was unlocked, so she was able to get in. But even once you get in, I, I mean, I, I just. You, you walk in on the guy who's not armed, who's sitting there watching TV, you would think that rather than pulling out your gun, maybe you, you try to do a bit of an investigation. Maybe you pull out your gun to try to make sure that the guy doesn't do anything, but you pull out your gun and shoot an unarmed man? Danielle in Greenfield. Danielle, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, I think you touched a little bit on my point just a second ago. Um, where was the threat? I think putting a, aside the lack of surprising lack of um, situational awareness. She's a police officer who's trained to defuse situations. Right. Why would going for a firearm be her first line of defense? Right, as opposed to trying to, you know, investigate and try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And and maybe if she would have paused a minute, apparently... From what I understand, this guy's apartment didn't look anything like her apartment. You know, I mean, I mean, other than maybe it's a one or two bedroom apartment, but this is apparently it's cluttered top. There's different furniture. There's all sorts of stuff. It's it's not like you immediately walk in and think that you're in the same place. I'm thinking that's all the other side needs. 
to convict her is a picture of her apartment and a picture of the wrong apartment. Right, and it's because at some point in time, okay, you get off on the wrong floor, maybe we can understand that. You go to the wrong door, okay, you're not paying attention, maybe we can understand that. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's it's after that, you go in, even if you find somebody in your apartment, all right, just the idea that you're going to pull out your gun and start... You know, shooting. Them up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. You'd be like, "Hey, what you doing here?" Yeah, well, well, right. Exactly. And then you kind of, you know, you flick on a light and you say, "You know, I'm a police officer. Hold on. Put your hands right. up, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. yourself. That's the first thing you're supposed to do. Um. Yeah. No. Thanks for calling. No. I'm. I. I this is one where again, I, I think you know, I, I. I'm. I'm a big believer in in your ability to defend yourself. Now, you you switch the facts around a little bit. Let's say she's on the door. She's she's sitting on her couch, and it's late at night. And you have somebody who you know kind of walks through the door. All right. Well, you know, maybe in that type of situation, you could say this is kind of a legitimate exercise of self defense. Maybe you know you'd have to look at the individual facts. But that's not what happened here. She was wrong place, wrong apartment. And I guess to me, this is a classic case of manslaughter. Is it going to come back first degree intentional homicide? No. But the idea that she shouldn't be held responsible, the idea that she was tired or she had tunnel vision or she was distracted or whatever, I'm sorry, if this woman gets off, then it's kind of like open season because pretty much anybody can say, hey, I made a mistake. Well, she made a series of mistakes, and as a result, somebody's dead, and I think she's got to be accountable. This is Jeff Wagner.